How much do you really want to know Jesus? It's very easy to substitute Christian processes and our Christian culture stuff for really knowing and following Jesus. Well, how often have we been there? We get wrapped up in church ministries, worthy charities, or pursue reaction to the negative cultural influences on our faith values, and in it all, we fail to maintain a thriving personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Let's talk about that. Welcome to Living a Legacy with Crawford Loretz. Today, we continue in our current series titled Choose Joy. Now, so far, we've looked at choosing joy in our circumstances, choosing joy in our relationships, and today, choosing joy in our pursuit of Christ. For new listeners, Crawford has been in pastoral and organizational Christian ministry for over 40 years. He's authored several books and most recently pastored the Fellowship Bible Church of Roswell, Georgia. The messages featured on this program come from his time at Fellowship prior to his recent retirement. Well, let's jump into today's lesson. We'll join Crawford in Philippians chapter 3. Again, our message titled, Choosing Joy in Our Pursuit of Christ, here on Living a Legacy. I'm going to keep saying this because I think it's important for us to hold on to this, is that joy is more than an emotion. Joy is a choice. Now, it is an emotion. I said it's more than an emotion. The Apostle Paul uses the joy group of words 14 times in the book of Philippians. It is dominated by joy, and when you see his circumstances, you're wondering, man, this ought not to be so. But another piece that we need to understand is that he also uses the term phroneo nine, ten times there in the book of Philippians. Phroneo is a Greek word for mind, and he couples mind and joy together. The third dimension, though, is that he also, he also talks about the will, choices, decisions, the volition in the book of Philippians. And there's a reason for that. Paul presupposes, now this is where it really, really gets squirrely because we don't think this way in our culture. Paul presupposes that your or my will can control my emotions. That's not disingenuous, and that's not being hypocritical. I know in our culture, you know, what's the latest word now? Keeping it 100, let's be transparent, and all this other kind of stuff. Let's keep it real. No, it's not, you know, sometimes those words are words for, for being out of control. He's not talking about being hypocritical, but he is talking about not allowing the emotions to control us and to lead us into areas that are not right. So joy, he says, is a choice. And we choose joy. And my goodness, when you think about where Paul is in writing the book of Philippians, you go, man, why isn't he in a fetal position? And yet he is talking about choosing joy in our circumstances in chapter 1 and chapter 2. He's talking about choosing joy in our relationships. And then today in chapter 3, he's talking about choosing joy in our pursuit of Christ. In our pursuit of Christ. Whenever I read Philippians chapter 3, and I was, I've been singing this song all week long as I've studied, and whenever I read this chapter, there's this, there's this song, this chorus that comes to mind that I heard like 40 years ago. And I, I just have been singing it. It's this little, little chorus that grabs, grabs me. I read this text, and I consider where Paul is. Uh, the chorus is, Lord, I want to know you more. Would you try that with me? 
Lord, I want to know you more. Deep within my heart, I want to know you. Lord, I want to know you. And I would give my final breath just to know your death and resurrection. Lord, I want to know you more. How much do we really want to know Jesus? When you read this text, you, that, that, that question just bursts out of the passage. How much do you really want to know Jesus? I got to tell you, Christian activity is the greatest barrier to really knowing Jesus. I have a confession to make. There have been times in my ministry when I have been so busy about doing things for the kingdom that my soul has become thin. And it's very easy to substitute Christian processes and our Christian culture stuff for really knowing and following Jesus. There have been times in my life I'm under the gun for deadlines of whether I'm writing a book or I got this thing going on, I got to sit in meetings here, I've got, got to, you know, this problem that we're dealing with or this ministry that we're moving ahead or raise money for a building or doing this kind of stuff. You get so involved with all of the outcomes of the Christian life going to your small group, going to this Bible study, taking these notes, doing this kind of stuff, we make the terrible assumption that all of those things that we are doing for Jesus is the same thing as pursuing him. The life in the Christian life is found in the person of Jesus. So here the Apostle Paul is talking about choosing joy in our pursuit of Christ. Well, how is that possible? What do, we, what, do we, what, do we, what do we have to do? Well, let me just give you the screensaver or the wallpaper of this message. Paul is making this statement, I really believe, and that is that our joy is in direct proportion to our passion for Jesus. That our joy is in direct proportion to our passion for Jesus. Anything else is superficial and if we choose anything else as a source for joy, you got to be careful, got to be careful, got to be careful, because joy of necessity will elude us. And so the soul-enriching joy that he's talking about, the choices that he's talking about, is it's focused on the person and the work of Jesus. I actually believe that chapter 3 is the high-water mark of the entire book. As he talks about choosing this joy. So, again, the question is, what, what, do we, what do we have to do? What steps do we have to take? I want to outline them because we're going to go through this. And I think that Paul is talking about four important steps that we have to take. If we're going to choose joy in our pursuit of Christ. And this is huge, church. This is big, 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 big. This, what I'm talking about today, is a key to freedom, the key to power, the key to putting wind behind our sails. He says that there are four steps, four steps. Now, this is going to disturb some people who have a view of grace that means that you are just passive. Paul never preaches grace with passivity, ever. 
He, here he's talking about the wonderful obligations, responsibilities, and privileges of grace. So here are the four things that he says, the four steps that we need to take if we're going to choose joy in our pursuit of Christ. Number one, this may sound weird, but I'm going to explain it in a second. The very first thing is beware of the legalists. Secondly, he tells us to shed our, our performance. And then thirdly, he says, live worthy of your destiny. And fourthly, he says, follow those who are following. So if you want guide rails in, in, in terms of what it really means to, 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 to choose joy in, a, in terms of your pursuit of Christ, here it is. The very first thing that he says is that you've you got to beware of the legalists. I want to pick it up in verse 1, but actually we'll be focusing on verses 2 and 3, but verse 1 says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Let me make a comment about two expressions. The word finally there is not, this is not the end of the message. He's at the end of the book. Finally there, or some of you are saying, yeah, that sounds like Crawford's messages. He says finally and has a bunch to go. But finally here means that he's introducing a new subject matter. He's making a shift. And then the expression uh, 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 rejoice, rejoice in the Lord. Once again, he's reminding his readers, reminding the church at Philippi to choose joy. It's as if he's saying that, look, um, 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 this is just a reminder to get, not to get bogged down by circumstances, but to rivet our attention on the Lord and take joy in him. He's underscoring that again. Don't, don't get bogged down. Don't get distracted. And then he, then he goes into this, this incredible exaltation of Jesus. But he begins by warning us to beware of legalists. And I think the message there is that don't get distracted. Don't get sidetracked. Notice what he says here. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Uh, oh, Paul did not have very kind, fluffy things to say about false teachers. He said, watch out for them. Watch out for them. What, 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 why does he say this? Well, he's telling the readers, don't be deceived. Not everybody that comes before you and not everybody that's in your midst has pure or true motives. He's saying, basically, watch out for the spiritual predators. Now, I just have to tell you this, just, just to be right out there with you. Uh, they're around today. Just about every church that I know of, uh, it, it, there are people who just pray on, on Christians, pray, pray on believers. We get them here from time to time. The elders or staff, we will, we, will, we will smell them out. These are people that come in, and they have, uh, they have secondary uh, agendas. They've got a little pet theology, a little pet thing that, that they've exalted above Jesus. And so they get into a little group or they get in a small group and they gather people around them. And every conversation goes back to their little hobby horse or their little, their little false teaching. Or, or, or it could be a true thing, but it's elevated higher than Christ or higher than the cross. And Paul says, be, be, be careful. There are folks like that. Their gospel is a secondary issue. And specifically, what he's talking about here, there were Judaizers. What does Judaizers mean? Well, these were people that plagued Paul's ministry. 
They followed Paul wherever he went. When he would start a church, whether it was in Corinth or, 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 or Ephesus or, or wherever he went and planted a church, these, these Judaizers, they were like gospel pimps. They would come behind him to pervert his ministry. And what they really taught was that uh, uh, you could not be a legitimate follower of Jesus unless you were circumcised. And that was their hobby horse. And so they made their way into these, these, these congregations. And by the way, Paul called them dogs, evildoers, mutilators of the flesh. And that's the reference, mutilators of the flesh. He's talking about them, 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 them seeking to, to circumcise. And everything was about that. They, yeah, we believe in Jesus. Yes, we believe in the cross. But you're not really saved unless you do this. And by the way, you know, Paul is brilliant. He calls them dogs. Interesting. Um, you know, uh, Jews referred to Gentiles as dogs. In fact, there's a Yiddish expression called goyim. That means Gentile dog. And uh, the reason why they, they called Gentiles dogs is because dogs were unclean animals. And so they were calling Gentiles unclean. And it's interesting to me that Paul flips the meaning around. He calls, no, you're, you're, you're really the dogs. Paul calls the Judaizers the dogs because they contaminated the gospel. Anything that competes with the gospel contaminates your faith. Anything. Anything that competes with the gospel contaminates your faith. And you got to be careful. And, and I, I want to give two warnings here. Be careful of a disproportionate emphasis of a truth. It's been my experience in all these years of ministry that, that error is very seldom introduced as error. The way error gets introduced is that somebody elevates a truth, but they elevate it disproportionately. They've got a favorite doctrinal hobby horse. Whether it is, I don't know, let's choose almost any, whether, whether it is prophecy or whether it is, what, baptism or whether it is uh, creation, and they're right about these issues, but they, they elevate it higher than it needs to be. And what ends up happening, because of the disproportionate elevation of it, it pulls it out from the counterbalance of Scripture and the cross itself, and of necessity, it leads to error. The other thing I'd caution us is to be very careful of pride in what you know. These two things are lethal. When you are uh, 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 an expert on a particular doctrine and you elevate that higher than the cross than Jesus and you take pride in that, it's not whether or not it's going to be error. It's just a matter of time. So Paul says, be careful. And notice the expression, he says, look out. They were to spot these people and remove them. Remove them. Paul is more adamant about, about doctrinal evil. He's not talking about removing unbelievers or anything like that. No, he's compassionate on that. But these folks who are spiritual predators, remove them. And I think the broader thing here, though, is that Paul is reminding us, just, just be careful of legalism. Be careful of performance. He says to stay focused in verse 3. 
He says in verse 3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. The expression glory in Christ Jesus is really the central, the centerpiece of what he wants to say. No, we don't put any confidence in the flesh. We glory in Christ Jesus. We're the true circumcision inwardly. The Spirit of God has come into our hearts and lives and Jesus has died on the cross in our place and for our sins and we have been made clean and right before God. The covenant has been written on our hearts once we trusted Christ. You don't need this outward mutilation. You don't need any extra to the, you don't add anything to the gospel. It's not Jesus plus my works. It's not Jesus plus baptism. It's not Jesus plus this. It's not Jesus plus that. It's Jesus alone. Christ alone. And that makes it true. Now, having said that, one of them, he, he says, what's more, we need to shed our performance. If we're going to pursue Jesus. If we're going to take joy in our pursuit of Christ, you got to get rid of these distractions and then also shed our performance. You know, he's really, <laughs> this is masterful. He's really raising the question by giving his own bio- biographical profile. He's really raising the question, uh, who, who are you trying to impress? When he says he doesn't put any confidence in the flesh. Now, let me explain that now. You know, there, there's a lot of difference of opinion here. And I don't want to, you know, there's some people that I, I deeply respect. I have another view on this. But I actually think that there's been too much surgical distinction between someone to say, well, the old nature and the flesh are different and this is different. I, I actually believe, it's my view, that Paul uses those expressions interchangeably. Old man, old nature, and flesh, he uses them interchangeably. What he's talking about is our proclivity to let the old patterns, the old man, the old ways to dominate what we're doing. And they keep going back to that. So Paul lifts up, and for the sake of argument, he's not, he's not getting into a spitting contest with anybody, but he's just saying, okay, hypothetically, these Judaizers are coming in here to just sort of like shoot embalming fluid in, in the church and, and rip these people over here and get them under this pile and lead them into error. And they're, they're proud about their heritage. So Paul says, okay, okay, let's suppose we can play that game. And then he, he, he rattles off his profile. He says in verse 4, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisees, as to zeal of persecuted the church, as to Righteousness under the law, blameless. Okay, you want to get in a spitting contest? You want to compare resumes and backgrounds? You want to take a look at where I came from? You want to, okay, I can hold mine up against yours and win every day. But what's the point? So, why, why are we wasting time glorying in our backgrounds? We, we, we put that stuff up next to Jesus. What's the big idea? In fact, that's what he says in verses 7 and 8. He says, nothing compares to him. Nothing. All right, if this life is the payoff, if this is the ultimate payoff, and this is, you know, all you got, yeah, sure, sure, yeah. Play that compete with me game. 
Yeah, yeah, play your accomplishment game. Yeah, yeah, okay, put all the stuff that you've done up, and if you've got more, then this is heaven for you. But he says, no, this, is, this, is, this doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any difference. You guys have been hearing me say this for the last few weeks. This is the reason why arrogance and pride is so stupid. Who are we comparing ourselves to? And so he says, nothing compares to him. Verse 7 says, <laughs> I love it. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Circle the word counted. I counted. Yeah, I had gain if I'm looking at this stuff horizontally. If I'm looking at who's better than who horizontally, who's got, who's got the thicker bio. I, I got it. I got it. Yeah, but you know what happened was when I came to Jesus and I looked at what Jesus or who Jesus is and I looked at what I have in him and I looked at where I'm going with him and I looked at what he's done for me. I looked at Jesus and my background. I looked at Jesus and my background. I looked at Jesus and my background and I made a decision. This ain't nothing. This is nothing. He says, I counted. In fact, the word counted there. It's, in, uh, it's a verb. It's in the, it's in the perfect tense in Greek. Said, what does that mean? Well, it, it is a past decision with continuous effect. What I love about it, he chooses not just a simple past tense. He uses the perfect tense to suggest that he still may occasionally struggle with going back to what was significant to him and what he could hold on to. And he, he, he remembers, no, no, I made that decision. I think, I think as Christians, we're not definitive enough in our Christianity. One of the reasons why we continue to struggle with our passion for Jesus and up and down is that we're not definitive enough. We've not viscerally, maybe intellectually, but not viscerally counted and made the decision that nothing is more valuable, even comes close to my Savior. Every time we're tempted to bury Jesus with our accomplishments or significance, we need to remember, I counted. And notice, he gets very broad, and he says, oh, by the way, it's not just about my background. It's not just about the things that gained it. Here's the point I want to make. Verse 8 says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Everything has loss. He's saying we must refute all human effort to please God. And so doing, we gain Christ. Nothing comes close to Jesus. Nothing. Crawford Loritz here on Living a Legacy, and that was the first half of a message called Choosing Joy in Our Pursuit of Christ. We're learning about four important steps to take if we're going to choose joy in our pursuit of Christ. The four are these. Beware of the legalists, shed our performance, live worthy of our destiny, and follow those who are following. And Crawford will develop these further next week. This is all part of a series called Choose Joy. To hear all of the messages so far, visit our website, livingalegacy.org, livingalegacy.org. Look for the past programs link. Please let us know that you listen on radio or online, and tell us how Crawford's teaching is helping you move closer to Christ. Click on the Contact Us link on the website. 
And if you'd like to contribute to the ongoing expenses of producing this program each week, there's a link for that too, livingalegacy.org. Well, thanks for being part of our study today. I'm Bill Davis. Living a Legacy is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Bible Institute.